You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and it's wonderful, as always, to have your company. How should a leadership team within an organization be different to other teams? What makes a great leadership team and what common traps do they fall into that stifle their performance, most notably their ability to effectively lead the organization. My guest in this episode is author Rob Pine. Rob has recently written a book called Unlock, Leveraging the Hidden Intelligence in Your Leadership Team, and in it, he asserts that there are three types of smarts an effective leadership team needs to have. What are those three intelligences? How do they help senior leadership teams and how can we develop them in our teams? He's here to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rob Pine. Rob Pine, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. Fantastic to be here. Now, Rob, you're the author of a fantastic, pretty recent book called Unlock, Leveraging the Hidden Intelligence in your leadership team. I'm really interested in why you honed in so deliberately to that one particular team that exists within an organization. Why are you so interested in what the leadership team does and and how they roll? Look, in my nine years of working as a facilitator and trainer, some of my best, most powerful experiences have been working with leadership teams. And I'd been in three leadership teams in corporate careers myself. And I just came to this point. I was like, that's where I can make the most difference. And not only that, but it turned out that on, if you look, if you search on Amazon, right, there are 60,000 plus books on teams. There are 60,000 also books on leadership. And there was only really one decent book on leadership teams. So I was like, this is an area that's super important. I can make a difference. And it is not well served. Like it's crazy that, um, you know, leadership teams are not the same as every other team, but they don't get any books of the, uh, to, to, to cover that. So I thought I would uh, try and fill that gap. Found a niche. And, and you're so right because the, your, your ability to, to influence that space is paralleled with a leadership team's ability to influence what goes on within an organization. Leadership teams have such a key role to play within an organization. And, and as you make the point so well in your book, it's not always done really well. You say in your book that leadership teams should turn up to meetings feeling positive and prepared, but they don't. We know that they don't. We know that just 20% of executives rate their leadership team as high performing. Why are organizations generally so bad at developing effective team culture in the most important, the most senior teams in their organizations? Yeah, look, I think there's such a big transition from a typical team, let's say a team that leads a function like the sales leadership team or the um, operations leadership team, and then you move up into the top team and you're suddenly looking over the whole of business and you're playing a different game and no one has that conversation about what does it take to make that transition. And it can take even you know really effective executives, it can take them six to 12 months to settle into how do I contribute differently? How do I show up differently to this leadership team? So there's that kind of a vacuum and people get chucked in the deep end and they're expected to know how to act in this leadership team and know how to contribute to whole of business discussions, having spent their, their entire existence to that point, just thinking about sales or operations. 
So it's that the kind of that's a big step up into how to run a leadership team. And most of it is left implicit. There's no guide, there's no handbook, there's no training. It's like, welcome to the leadership team. And sometimes people just sink in that environment. And of course, the number one way humans learn when they go into a new environment is to look around. They check out what are the ground rules. And if the leadership team they're going into isn't high performing, they're walking in and mimicking poor team behavior, I guess. They're trying to to get themselves up to speed to a standard of behavior that isn't cutting it anyway. So as you say, there's no handbook or not until, the one, not until you wrote one. And people are just trying to work it out as they go. Hey, tell us in your experience, Rob, what do you see as the consequences across organizations of ineffective senior leadership teams? What does it do to the people around them and the organization they're supposed to be leading? Well, I think there's probably three, three things that go wrong. The first is the strategy. No one knows it. No one cares about it. No one knows what to do in their area as a result. So therefore, you don't have a cohesive organization moving in the same direction. So there's the strategy problem. Then there is the culture problem, which is that um, we don't take care of our people properly. So the culture is a problem as well. And that's the role modeling is wrong. And then there is the execution problem where whatever we're trying to do, change management, digital transformation, whatever you're up to at the time being, that also falls over because the leadership team is not stewarding it effectively, right? So those three problems that the strategy is a bit weak, the culture is poor and the execution is bad. Those actually, I started with those and I turned those into positives, which I call the three types of intelligence that a leadership team needs. And they are, I think that the team needs emotional intelligence to deal with all the people issues in their team and beyond. It needs um, what I call team IQ or creative analytical intelligence to develop a great strategy together as a group. And I also think it needs practical intelligence, which I call PQ. Um, to you know the types of people in the leadership team who can write a brilliant roadmap, sequence the projects, track the metrics. So those three types of intelligence are supposed to help deal with the three major challenges the leadership teams face. Yeah, they're fantastic. And they obviously core, form the core of your book. And I'm going to ask you in detail about those soon. But as listeners to my podcast know, I love to rake over the coals of the pain. And before we get to the solutions, you know, it's it's a really interesting dynamic, the the organization and their relationship to the senior leadership team, because there's such mixed messages that come from an organization which has an underperforming leadership team, you know, and we know that 80% of organizations probably do have underperforming leadership teams, and a good percentage of those have probably toxic leadership teams where the rest of the organization knows that the guys at the top just aren't playing nicely together. So that sends those really mixed messages. It's, you know, on the one hand, an organization will be saying in some way, we really value teamwork in our organization. But at the same time, those at the top aren't modeling it to you. And you know that they're not. They're not stepping up to their type of team and their role and providing you with leadership around strategy, culture, and execution. And the other part of the mixed message is that as time goes on and as we experience change and we're in an economy, that demands constant growth, all organizations in all sectors are asked to do more with less in a shorter time frame. So there's some real mixed messages that organizations are getting about the value of teamwork. Yes. I mean, there's, you've made a few interesting points in there. I mean, the one that's coming to mind that you mentioned at the end there was the mixed messages about the value of teamwork. And look, 
I was running a diagnostic uh, actually today with a leadership team where um, at the end of last week, we had all their leadership team members complete my diagnostic survey. And one of the scores this particular team was low on was the fact that most of them didn't think it felt like a real team cooperating on joint activities together. And so it's there in black and white for me to see. And I'm going to be doing the debrief with the particular CEO tomorrow to go through it. But there it is, like just like you talked about. It. It's like, it doesn't feel like a team. It feels like a group of people who turn up once a month or once a week, update on what's going on in the area, and then disappear again. And that's that's a committee, right? Not not a team. And that, that language is kind of important. Like I'm talking to a potential client at the moment who has a committee, their the, the leadership committee. And I'm like, ooh. I don't know. I don't know. Can I deal with that? Is that? They actually call it a committee. Yeah. And they've got 16 people in it. Wow. Right? So if it's 16 people, it probably is a committee because you can't effectively make collective decisions quickly and steer a ship with 16 people in the uh, steering room. So yeah, the language is important. And so I, I like to think of leadership teams actually becoming a proper team right? in a slightly different way to normal teams because it's leadership, but they have to have that kind of trust, that emotional intelligence. They have to have joint goals, a shared roadmap, not just a weekly or monthly meeting. So yeah, absolutely. There's got to be um, proper role modeling at the top that we act like a real team. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because in, in most organizations, in, as I said before, we say at some level that we really value teamwork and, and different organizations do a, a good or, or bad job or somewhere in between at describing what that is and, and teaching people how to become part of that and individual leaders do variously well or poor jobs at demonstrating that and and developing that culture. But at some point in a lot of organizations, it's almost as if people think that you get to a certain level of seniority and you don't have to think like that anymore. It's really important for our guys and girls on the ground to think like a team and work cohesively and communicate really effectively and make collective decisions, but we don't have to do that. It's really interesting to me that there, there is some point at which they think they're, you know, they're, they're kind of too senior to do that. And I've been in countless senior leadership team meetings, and they call themselves a team, but of course, don't act like it. They act, as you say, like a committee. They almost have a hub and spoke relationship with the most senior person in the room, whether it's a CEO or whoever it might be, where the CEO sits there and hears from the HR guy or girl. And then they'll have a chat, a one-on-one chat in front of everybody. And then the CEO will hear from the IT guy or girl, and they'll have a one-on-one chat. And it's almost as like, as though they've just, they've got no concept that they should be acting like a team, as if at their level, they really are just so in charge of their departments. They just sit there and sort of glaze over when the other guys or girls are talking to the CEO. Have you... Have you nominated or, or identified that kind of hub and spoke relationships in senior leadership teams? Is is that one of the common pitfalls? Yeah, look, it's very common. And that's where typically if that's happening, the leadership team in my, in my surveys and diagnostics, in my experience, will get pretty low scores for itself because everyone doesn't think those meetings are very effective and they don't enjoy them and they switch off. And the marketing person doesn't even listen to the operating operations person's update. The salesperson drones on for 25 minutes when it should have been five minutes. And everyone, literally, I've, I've, I've interviewed teams like that. I, I interviewed one particular team. I, I interviewed them each one at a time. And they all said, I've got no idea why we do have those leadership team meetings. Everyone just updates. Mm, yeah. And it's so boring. It takes a whole day. Right. So one example is like, so I was working with, I do work with a very, very large ASX listed company. 
and one of their divisions I work with, I remember the, the CEO of that division said, when this works well, when leadership teams are working well, there's a sense of give, give. What are you giving to this team? And what are they giving back to you? And it's not just protecting your base, playing the politics, trying to make sure people know what you're doing. It's literally coming in with that giving mindset of like, how can I help my colleagues in this team? And that kind of resonated with me. I don't know if it resonates with you or your listeners, but like that give, give mm. is a nice little phrase to, that will get you beyond just updating your area. Yeah, that is, a, that is a really helpful phrase. And you know, the other, one of the other things that really helps me think about this clearly is Patrick Lencioni's concept around the first team principle and the idea that the most senior team that you're part of is actually your first team. They're your colleagues. They're the people that you are most committed to. They might not be the people you spend most of your time with because you go off and lead the teams that report to you. But if you're a member of a senior leadership team, that is your first team. They're your priority. They're the group with whom you make commitments and decisions. You think things through and you are sitting at that table as a leader in the organization, not the head of a division. And then you leave that table and you go back to your, the division that you lead and you fulfill the promises that you've made as part of your senior leadership team. What do you think of Lencioni's first team principle? Well, you know, I'm really glad you brought this up because uh, I think on podcasts, there's always room for a good debate and a bit of disagreement. And I'm going to disagree with this statement from, from Lencioni, right? Because in practice, I've seen it backfire. I have a leader that I've been working with for two or three years, and he really got into this language around first team, a first team or a team. And the team around him never quite got on board with that. And it became a bit of an issue. It's like, what does it mean? Is this really my A team? And the, the fact was that most of these direct reports, let's say there were nine of them or something like that, they spent way more time with their leadership team looking down, if you want to think of it like that, right? They would spend every day talking to their, their immediate group and really felt like that was their first priority, right? So the way we got around that ultimately was actually to say, whichever of those teams you're in, you've got to be on your A game, your A game. So a little flip was like, what does A game behavior look like when you're in the top team? And what does it look like when you're in your functional team? And we, we had to move away from them competing. We had to move away from trying to force everyone in that leadership team to see the top team as its, uh, as its A team. So it was a really interesting experience where, where I, I felt and I could see the clashes there. That is an interesting experience. And you know what? I, I don't dislike your solution there. I think that's quite clever to talk about, hey, whatever team you're in, bring your A game, whether it's your, your senior leadership team making decisions on behalf of the organization or the functional division or group that I lead, I'm going to take my A game to either of those. But I still do think there's a value in Lencioni's first team principle, because what I think he's doing is trying to turn on its head what is almost the default setting for most people. Because we're human beings, we're, we're social in nature. It's the people we spend most of the time with that we're most likely to be committed to. And what that means is, and what that drives is behavior that when senior leaders go to their leadership team meeting, they're, they're not there as part of a team making decisions working together. They're there to represent the people yeah. they spend yeah, most yeah, of their yeah. time with. They come to, to. defend so their what, patch. Yeah. yeah, defend their patch. And what, that's what Lencioni is trying to counter by driving the first team principle. Yeah, I think we're, we're kind of circling around this. Probably, we're probably going to agree here again, aren't we, roughly? That's, uh, <laughs> that's, um, I think this is about how you tackle it. So yes, you don't want people just showing up and updating and defending their patch. Absolutely not. But I don't think you want to drive competition. When I've seen that that phrase around first team used explicitly, 
I've seen it not be helpful. I've seen it not be helpful. I like it though, Rob. I like that you sat and argued with me about this on the podcast. I that's love it. There's more arguments. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. But we're not, we're, there's not much room for argument because I agree so wholeheartedly with the points that you make in your book. And now I'm going to ask you to talk through in a little bit more detail those three intelligence that you speak of as being essential ingredients to a senior leadership team or a leadership team, remind the listeners once again, and then I'll get to you to go through them. There's emotional intelligence to navigate challenges thrown up by people and culture. There's creative analytical intelligence to provide the critical thinking required for complex strategic challenges. And then there's practical intelligence to deliver on strategy and turn all the talk into action. Let's go back to emotional intelligence. What do you mean about the, by that in this context? And what are the barriers to it generally. Why is it so hard to find in a leadership team? Well, if I frame the three intelligences, the little metaphor, which is that uh, the emotional intelligence is the heart of the team, the practical intelligence is the hands of the team, and the IQ or creative analytical intelligence is the brain of the team, right? So we're going to start talk first about the heart of the team, right? And where this, this whole model kind of comes from is a great piece of research from the MIT Center for Collective Intelligence. And what they did was they analyzed teams and looked at their problem-solving abilities. And they tried to find what is it that makes a difference in a team between those that are great at solving problems and those that suffer a little bit, right? Don't do it as well. And they found there was quite a lot of variation. Put five clever people together. Sometimes they can't fight their way out of a paper bag, right? <laughs> and so what they found was they studied this, right? They looked at it. They found actually the, the difference in problem-solving ability, solving tough logical, mathematical problems, whatever it might be, came down to the emotional intelligence of the group and their ability to do things like compute what the other people in the group might be feeling and to adjust so they had equal conversational time in the group. So my kind of thinking is that in order to get good outcomes from a team, there's proof now that the the, the relationships between them the emotional intelligence in that group is actually going to get you not just a nicer team environment, but it's proven to help you, you know, write strategies, solve problems and make decisions, right? So that's really important to me that we that we kind of um, ground the work in building what we're going to call emotional intelligence, which, you know, overlaps with concepts you'll be really familiar with, like psychological safety and trust and vulnerability. Those are the kind of things we want to build in that team in order for them to be able to have the right kind of conversations to solve problems and make decisions. So it kind of all starts with that emotional intelligence. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. So if it makes sense to us that we want that, and of course it does make sense, how do we build that in individuals and within a team? What what do we say? If we diagnose that as as what's lacking is that emotional intelligence, my my willingness to listen to you and tap in, intuit where you're coming from and, and genuinely care and engage with you authentically. If we're not doing that, how can you as an external consultant help us, help us get there? Yeah. Well, this is the case study I was looking at today with this diagnostic I've been working on is when we have that issue, I normally come in and say, you've got to have a conversation with the group about why this team exists, who's in it and how it operates and what it's going to produce. So why, who, how, what, roughly speaking. And although those aren't directly, like some of them, like the how we operate, you can start talking about behavioral expectations and what's okay and what's not okay. Fair enough. We're going to do a bit of that. 
but actually having a really honest conversation about who do we serve? Who are we creating value for? This all comes under the bucket of the kind of why question. Why do we exist? So you can ask, who are the stakeholders? What value do we create for each of them? Therefore, what's our mission or manifesto, right? So actually having that conversation is a wonderful way to start out with a leadership team because it it unlocks different perspectives and actually we can get everyone on the same page and then we can start saying, well, if that's the kind of value we create, so fair enough, there's shareholders or there's owners of the company, we've got to create some growth for them. We've got employees, we've got the community, we've got the environment. These are our stakeholders. So that's what we're trying to create value for. So how are we going to operate? What are we going to talk about? Everything cascades from there is about aligning on why bother having a leadership team in the first place? What are we here to do? And it's clearly an attempt to break down that siloed thinking where I come to this table with my HR hat on or my operations hat on or whatever division it is that I lead. I leave that hat at the door and I I join this team for its purpose in leading the organization, which of course is connected to the team I lead day to day. But when I'm in this room and engaging with these people, this is what I'm thinking about. This is the role I'm playing. I really like that. All right. What about this? So that's the heart of the team. What about the head of the team, the creative or analytical intelligence? What does that look like when it's going well and how does it serve a leadership team? Yes, uh, this is actually, you know, like the reason I started my my business, my practice nine years ago was to focus on decision making, which was what I studied at university. Started a PhD, didn't finish it, quit after one day actually. But so I was, was doing a PhD for one day in decision making and so this area is really crucial to me. And I just found over time, even though I started my business off focusing on decision-making, critical thinking, I found that it was uh, easier to work more holistically with leadership teams. So the kind of things I'm looking at is I look at the psychology of how groups make decisions. And we see probably three key issues with that. One is they don't understand the root cause of the issue that in question. So they don't go deep enough. The second is they only consider a very small range of options. So they don't go wide enough. And the third is they don't plan for the knock-on consequences of their decisions, which is like, well, they don't think far enough ahead. So what we can feel there, building a picture in your mind, is that problems and decisions have three dimensions. They have a depth, they have a width, and they have a length. And I'm looking to help leadership teams stretch their thinking in those three ways. So we go deeper, wider, and think further ahead so that we can know we've made really robust decisions, make them once, make them quickly, and move on rather than some leadership teams talk about the same issues for the whole year, sometimes more without resolving them. I really like that. I, I love the, the don't understand the root cause. They consider too narrow a range of options and they don't consider the knock-on effects or the consequences, the breadth, the width, and the length of a decision they're making. That's really nice language. Yeah, look, I found EMS, I've been working on this for quite a long time and trying different approaches and uh, that kind of metaphor if you like of the three dimensions seems to fit well with the underlying issues that our scientists and psychologists can see that groups suffer from so um and you know this is the key to any kind of interventions with leadership teams is giving them almost models that they can just remember without having to look up a document ever again it's amazing isn't it when you work with an organization or a team within an organization the language that they catch when you come back and see them however long later you hear played back to you something that you've said. And it always intrigues me which part of what we've talked about they've latched onto. And I guess that's part of the art of facilitating really well is to try and narrow that down and have them catch on to the bits that you're really keen for them to catch on to. Yeah. Like, I mean, always people like yourself and myself, we are trying to help people by presenting compelling, simple solutions that work. So yeah, that's what we're in the game of doing really is, uh, you know, there's, 
you could read a lot about leadership teams, but um, you would be you get pretty bored by most of it, I reckon. So trying to trying to get accessible ways of working. All right. We've talked about emotional intelligence, which is the heart of the team. We've talked about the creative analytical intelligence, which is the head. What about the hands, the practical intelligence? What does it look like when that's going well? And, and how can we poke that along in the right direction? Well, look, I'll tell you a little story to bring this to life, right? So I was working with actually a, a kind of HR functional leadership team. So, you know, fairly big organization, all the heads of the different bits of HR all together in a room. And we had a strategy for the year ahead. And I said, all right, let's put that all on some post-it notes on a calendar, on a calendar, right? Can we translate the strategy into a calendar of projects? And over this course, of course, about half an hour, these six or seven people will put post-it notes from their different areas, the recruitment person, the talent person, you know, the uh, legal person, whatever it might be. And at half an hour in, like, I saw the leader of this team, like the chief people officer, just sit down in her chair and just all the energy was drained from her because she could see that the translation of the strategy into projects was creating something really overwhelming. So what we did was we went back and said, okay, let's look back at this map again. Let's take the first quarter of the year. Let's take all the post-it notes off and put back only the post-it notes that the single most important thing that quarter. So that was easy to decide. Everyone has agreed straight away. And I said, what other things are consistent with that that you could achieve in the same quarter? And three or four things went back on. And I said, all right, let's do quarter two. Half an hour later, the energy had massively lifted because we turned the strategy into a sequence of activities across the year Super simple activity. I call it road mapping for obvious reasons, but it makes a huge difference when a, a leadership team has gone from the conversation and the strategy on a page or the strategy document. And these days I never leave a leadership team until they've got a really robust roadmap with goals for the end of the year, measurement points. And it just makes a huge difference in prioritization is be able to translate your creative analytical ideas, you know, your strategy into practical roadmap. And I'm just loving that part of it because it's making everything more real. So practical intelligence involves that road mapping exercises, the planning of detailed goals, cascading them down if we want to, the tracking of those goals over time, and then a conversation that should be at least every quarter about what did we learn in the last quarter and how is it going to shape our next quarter? Like all that pit stops, right? Let's get off the racetrack for half a day and consider what we've learned. And Rob, if you were to generalize, thinking about over these three intelligences, is there any one that leadership teams, senior leadership teams tend to not do very well or are difficulties spread differently across different organizations? Are you, or are you seeing a pattern? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you some highlights, right? So we've had about 25 different teams have done my surveys. So I can talk about my experience with say 50 leadership teams, but I've had about 25 teams do the survey. So I've got data on that as well. And uh, here's what we see. Number one, emotional intelligence tends to get the highest self ratings from leadership teams. Creative analytical intelligence or IQ tends to be a little bit lower. And then lowest of all is the practical intelligence, what I call PQ. So it tends to be in that order. And that's the order that we want to work on them as well. So if a team has got a weakness in emotional intelligence, that's the first thing I'm going to work on is do that. This align on why, who, how, what, why does this team exist? Now, in terms of specific, I can go a level deeper as well. It's almost always the one that scores lowest or amongst the lowest three kind of micro behaviors is this idea of taking pit stops and reflecting on our work. Like we know from some amazing research, you know, meta-analysis done by two people called Tannenbaum and Serasoli, that companies that do really good post-analysis or post-mortems and reflect on their work can become up to 25% more effective quite quickly. And yet nearly every leadership team I work with is always caught up in the next project and doesn't take that, you know, half an hour to review 
previous project. So that's like a, just a quick win for all the listeners out there is um, how good are you actually learning from your previous projects? And it makes perfect sense. makes perfect sense why it would be so effective for an organization, advantageous for them to do so, but we also know why they don't, why it's so rare for an organization to do that well, because organizations are addicted to the next thing and they just want to get on to delivering the next thing and and not take that time, as you say, to have a pit stop and, and look back at what we've done and how well it went and what lessons we can learn from that. Hey, I found that fascinating about the emotional intelligence being highly rated. That's That's interesting in itself. You know, emotionally, um, part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So I guess even if you have low self-awareness, you you might not know about it, but that's interesting. But the fact that practical intelligence is at its lowest interests me the most because almost without exception, people in the room of a leadership team or a senior leadership team at some point have been doers. And most of the time they got themselves to the senior leadership team because they were good doers. So you would think rationally that they would take that experience with them, that know-how, understanding what it requires to plan well, to take a good strategy and turn it to action, because they were on the other side of that for a good chunk of their career, presumably. Mm. Well, one thing you make me think, which I haven't necessarily thought before, is that in a typical leadership team, there are usually some people who like, you know, as individuals, that kind of... um, planning process of let's make it all real. And that's the type of person like who you know might say towards the end of a meeting, that's all great, but what's the plan? When are we doing it by? What are the smart goals? Stuff like that, right? And um, they, at leadership team levels, they tend to be somewhat in the minority and maybe dominated by the people who are more chatty, relationship-oriented, or the thinkers, right? It's, it's so unfashionable. you've got a couple of these. Well, it potentially It's unfashionable is. in a senior team. Yeah, there's some evidence. There's a great book called which two heads are smarter than one, written by an ex-partner kind of a partner at Deloitte from memory. And in that book, she looks at how to make teams smarter than some of the parts. And she talks about how leaders, as you get more senior in the organization, leaders tend to really get less diverse in their thinking style. And they tend to focus more on what's the underlying problem and what does success look like? The kind of, and, and everyone tends to kind of land on those factors and we actually lose some of that neurodiversity or cognitive diversity on the way up the the, the pyramid. So you end up yeah with people at the end, you know, they're in leadership team meetings and they they really fail to put the plans into place to deliver on their strategies. Sometimes. Yeah. All right, Rob. Now you've done a great job talking to us about why a senior leadership team is different to the other teams in the organization, telling us about the three types of intelligences that we need within a leadership team or a senior leadership team. If I've tapped into this, I've, I've bought into your messages. I'm listening to it thinking, yeah, I really want my leadership team to be more effective. We need some more of that. Yeah, that's our problem. I'm on board, Rob. Give me the three nuggets of gold, the three big points that I can remember over the next few weeks and few months that are going to help me recall the value of this conversation. Hit me with your big three. The first one would be around EQ. And the EQ action is going to be just align on why this team exists so everyone's got a shared understanding. That will make your team's EQ grow. The second one on IQ is going to be to stretch your thinking and make it deeper, wider, and further ahead. And then the last tip on that practical intelligence would be to make sure you turn your plans into calendars and roadmaps, which show the sequence of your priorities over time. And that makes a huge difference. It's easy to have a list of priorities. 
it's much more realistic when you schedule them over the course of a year as best you can. So those are kind of my three best tips that sit under EQ, IQ, and PQ. Very good, Rob Pine. I have so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me. And that was Rob Pine. He's very clear about what leadership teams need to be successful. I totally bought into those three intelligences and love his approach to helping teams develop. And his three nuggets to help you remember these important ideas and help develop your own leadership teams. Number one, for EQ, align on why this team exists so everyone has a shared understanding. Number two, for IQ, stretch your thinking, go deeper, wider, and further ahead. And number three, for practical intelligence, make sure you turn your plans into practical roadmaps that show the sequence of priorities over time. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Rob on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theories and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.